You are listening to the Daily Reflection Podcast, messages of experience, strength, and hope from members of the recovery community. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the show, and I hope you're enjoying a safe and happy new year. Today on the show, Quentin W. from New York City. This episode originally aired on January 2nd, 2021. I hope you enjoy the show. Today is January 2nd, and we have a special guest, Quentin from New York City. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Mike. Great to be here. It's great to have you. And uh, today we are focusing on the reflection for January 2nd. Quentin, would you read the reflection for us? Yeah, I'd love to. Uh, um, So it's January 2nd. First, the foundation. Is sobriety all that we can expect of a spiritual awakening? No, sobriety is only a bare beginning, as Bill sees it, page 8. Practicing the AA program is like building a house. First, we had to pour a big, thick concrete slab on which to erect the house. That, to me, was the equivalent of stopping drinking. But it's pretty uncomfortable living in a con- on a concrete slab, unprotected and exposed to the heat, cold, wind, and rain. So I built a room on the slab by starting to practice the program. The first room was rickety because it wasn't used to the work. But as time passed, as I practiced the program, I learned to build better rooms. The more I practiced, the more I built. The more comfortable and happy was the home I now have to live in. Great reading. First, Quentin, maybe tell us a little bit about your sobriety. What brought you into the rooms? Sure. Um, So my sobriety date is June 6, 2008. Um, so just celebrated uh, 150 months in the program, which I love to share with the group. Um, yeah, came into it after a life of uh, just not being aware of what was going on. And it came a day where uh, my, what I presume was my life partner, said, uh, you got to figure this thing out. And she was back in the days when people found housing on Craigslist and she moved into a different house and I was left alone at home with our then 11 year old kid. And, um, I was scared to death, Mike. And, um, I walked down the street. I knew where I was going. Um, I had passed it many, many times and saw the folks there, saw the little blue sign uh, sitting out front. It's at 96 in Broadway. It's one of the most classic 12-step rooms in New York City. Uh, You you literally go down steps underground and uh, rows of chairs, the table at the end, and all the little signs on the wall. And, uh, the, the color of the room is, is, you know, 1960s and seventies nicotine. And, uh, it's just, it's one of those rooms. Well, I walked down there and I just walked into that room and I instantly felt like I had arrived. Um, it was just amazing. You know, the, the, this reading Mike, and I think one of the reasons that it really sprung out to me was that. You know, we're just entering January, which means we're just leaving December. And as we often do in program, we sort of practice the steps of the month. And so I just spent all of December with this idea, as it says here in the first line, is sobriety all we can expect of a spiritual awakening, step 12. Um, And I spent a lot of time thinking about that spiritual awakening and 
what are they and have I had them? It's, it's a really big idea, isn't it? You know, I think Bill sort of dares us, right? Mm. Um, you know, you get to the spiritual awakening and then he says, no, sobriety is only the bare beginning. So it's a dare, you know, mm. and, I, and I love and I took the bait when I saw this. Um, walking, you know, when I think back onto my spiritual awakenings, I hadn't even read step one ever in my whole life. It was up on the wall there. Um, and I, I, you know, the group read through those. And so that was my first one. And when we got to step 12 and it said the spiritual awakening, I was like, are you kidding? But when I think back on it, Mike, it was happening right then. You know, I, I, I'm expecting you've got a question in here says, uh, what would you say to a newcomer, right? And I'd say, you know, just going into that room, the courage it takes. And I'll admit it, my, my courage was completely fear-based at that time. I had lost everything I thought my life was in, in just a minute. Um, but by stepping into that room, I began to look at something that I knew was there all along. And that was my first spiritual awakening. Yes, I think I've been in that actual room uh, in 96th Street. And it was one of the uh, earlier meetings. I, I used to work in New York City and um, spent some time in that room. Uh, would One week a month, I would go to New York City and um, stay in the city. And I had just such a blast finding meetings all around the city. And that was one of the ones that I found very early on. Um, yeah, I can think of only two that are, in my experience, they're more 12-step uh, Perry Street. Perry Street, for sure. have been there. And then mm -hmm. the Mustard Seed um, yeah. on Lexington, where, it, you know, I'm 6'4". You, you almost have to crawl to get in there, which is a wonderful <laughs> metaphor. I want to learn a little bit more about what you consider to be that, that firm bedrock that you're building your program on. Sure. And, and, you know, I love the, the metaphor of it being that slab and then beginning to you know, slowly build the house. And that's what I really feel like I've been doing over the past 12 and a half years. Um, yeah. And, and as Bill says here, you know, no, sobriety is only the bare beginning. It's the foundation. The arc of my recovery, and I didn't come up with this. I've heard others say it is that, you know, when you first come in, it gets better. Um, you realize just what you've been going through and you decide that you're going to, you know, you're going to admit and then make a change. You know, it goes from better and then it gets, it gets worse. And the worst part for me was, wow, it was just that bad. I didn't realize it. Um, when I was active, the whole point was to just not have that thought. And, and in sobriety, I began to, to look at it. And, you know, I think as Bill's saying here, you don't want to, you don't want to live on that slab. Um, so stop drinking, but there I am out there in the, the heat and the wind and the cold on that bare slab. So it gets better. It gets worse. You said something there that I think is important to call out. You know, the newcomer may be getting a couple of days and you said it gets worse. And that's something that we rarely tell newcomers because we want to keep the frame of mind positive but it happens so often that when we give up our our coping mechanism like you mentioned we give up the tool that we've used for so long to cope with these really difficult feelings especially for newcomers not having a solid bedrock of of principles in our life that and and having practiced the full program we're left with the 
you know, we were left having to deal with these, these emotions and these feelings and the wreckage of our past. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you tell newcomers um, around that? One of the things that's been really on my mind, specifically around the newcomers, is that, you know, there was what I used to tell newcomers, but we've been nine months in Zoom now, right? And, and mm. it's different. Um, the ability to access the newcomers the way we used to in person, very different. And, and I can't imagine what coming into sobriety is, is like for someone who didn't experience the rooms. It was, you know, that f- the first word of the first step, the we. That we was not just conversational and, and being amongst the group, but it was touching. And that was a big part of it for me. You know, I heard the other day in, in a meeting you and I go to that someone came into the the rooms originally shaking hands. And then they, you know, after months, they left hugging, right? I remember seeing men hug for the first time in my life, you know, when I first came in and saying, I will never do that, (laughs) right? And that's the disease, though. It's the separation. So the thing I would say to a newcomer is, well, congratulations for just showing up. Right on, right on. Huge, huge part of it. Yep. Um, but what I'd also say is, uh, is take a look at that step one. Don't get carried away with two, three, four, five, and the rest of them. Just step one. And look at that first word, we, and say to yourself, you're going to stop trying to do this alone. Um, it, it, we're here. Um, you know, what, what, AA is 86 years old now, if I'm mm-hmm. doing my math right. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's been, it's been way for 86 years. That that's what Bill and Bob came up with. Um, don't try to improve on this, just do it, lean into it. Um, then I, the the next thing I'd say is now make the, we real, go get yourself Mm -hmm. a sponsor. Now there's two of you, right? Mm -hmm. Can't, Mm -hmm. can't beat that. Um, and the thing the sponsor is going to ask you to do and you're going to bristle, but you're just going to do it. You're going to read that big book. Mm. And just do it. And you mentioned Zoom and um, and meetings online. If for some reason you're listening to this sometime in the future, it was recorded in January of 2021, and we're coming out of what I hope to be the final months of this horrible pandemic. And I'm very fortunate to have a home group that has successfully transitioned from in-person meetings, which, quite frankly, were very dangerous for many, many months. And we've we've got a solid a solid group, Sunrise Semester Group, uh, still out of Philadelphia. Meets every single day, seven fifteen. If you want to join us, at the meeting guide is a f- phenomenal resource, and you can find that meeting as well as many other meetings. And um, I just wanted to make that clarification. If for some reason this podcast episode manages to stay available, manages to stay available for. Uh, for some time, and you're wondering what we're talking about. Hey, Mike, and you know, it just occurred to me, I joined Sunrise Semester completely virtually. I started in in March of last year, so I've never known you guys in person. (laughs) That's great. We do have visitors from around the globe, quite a few from Canada. We've got China, China, two people from China on a regular basis, Australia, um, all, all parts around the world. And that's a beautiful thing. And the great thing about it, Quentin, you know, it reminds me that AA, number one, it works. It, it it works so well, and it works across cultural boundaries, ac- across language boundaries. So you know, you got me thinking because you just said before, you know, what, what are the principles um, 
that are the foundation or the they're the bedrock. And, and you're right. That's the word. Again, back to step 12, we practice these principles in all our affairs. And to my knowledge, Mike, those principles are not listed anywhere. You can't go to the big book and all of a sudden see the list of principles. Um, and, you know, in thinking about that, I think that's on purpose. Um, I think that, uh, that it's basically saying to us, you got to come up with your own principles. There's no universal set of these things. Um, what are yours? And as we, we continue with the metaphor in the daily reading of building rooms on that slab, on that foundation, and the foundation being sobriety, I think the rooms are the principles. Um, you know, as, as you mentioned, in, I'm in New York City. Um, I'm used to living in small houses, very small houses. And so, you know, that extending that metaphor, I should have just a few rooms in my house. Um, I'm, that's the way I like to live. And I'd say the same thing for the principles. If we just surround ourselves by principles and really big, hard principles, we're never going to get anywhere. Um, we need a set of principles, just the right number. It's not a lot. And they've got to be the real ones for us. And each room becomes those principles for us. So, you know, I would say I've got four rooms in my house and my principles, my living room, is anonymity. That is, you know, tradition 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles above personalities. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all things, not recovery, sobriety, fellowship, serenity. I could come up with a thousand you know, spiritual foundations, and they feel smart enough to pick anonymity. And that is so crucial to my sobriety. And it's not the anonymity I thought it was, Mike, of, of, you know, my name needs to be protected and other people should, names should be protected. Anonymity means that I am, this is going to sound harsh, but I am nobody. Um, put down the ego, right? I don't know what anyone does in our rooms. No, no idea. Unless, unless I recognize them from TV or a newspaper or something like that. Mm -hmm, which has happened. Yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. You, you see celebrities in the room, but for the most part, I can't fill in the blank to say that such and so does. I have no idea. They're completely anonymous as am I. I am not, you know, my, my armor coming into that room. Um, I'm, I'm just bare just like everyone else. I love the concept. And especially for newcomers, it's important for them to understand that there's two types of anonymity. Uh, there's personal anonymity. When you come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, you should feel comfortable that regardless of whether someone recognizes you or, or you recognize someone else, what happens in the rooms stays in the rooms and you can feel completely comfortable going to any room of Alcoholics Anonymous and being secure that your notoriety, your personality is going to be held sacred. That's personal anonymity. And then there's the the anonymity that, that I think you're talking about, which protects the group foundation of AA. Because if, if I were to break my anonymity out there in the world and tell the world who I am and that I am a member of AA, I'm human. I know that I'm only an arm's length away from a drink. And if I were to drink, 
and continue to destroy my life, I would then further tarnish the name of AA. So those are the kind of two tenets of anonymity as I see them. Yep. Yep. We're not the spokesperson for this thing, are we? Mm, exactly. Yeah. You know, th- I think that second room, you know, the the bedroom, the, the place I sleep, um, the, the principle there is honesty um, mm-hmm. and learn that in this program. Um, unflinching honesty, always, never anything but honesty. Um, look, I, I've, I've said it in rooms. I come to these meetings because I crowdsource my recovery and I've got to hear other people saying their truth. It's often my truth on their lips, by the way. Um, mm. Unbelievable how powerful that is. And we can only get there by just pure honesty and not having to carry those burdens anymore. You know, the, the first, what, nine steps are all about getting rid of that dishonesty, you know, mm-hmm. and, and resetting and saying, okay, I don't have to carry that weight on my shoulders anymore. So why would I put it back on? Um, so the dishonesty is out. What what I think fits with honesty a little bit, at least for me also, was that idea of fantasy too. I put down fantasy, um, which was one of my spiritual awakenings this year. I all of a sudden realized one day I don't fantasize anymore, you know, about winning the lottery or, or sex or, um, you know, do, do I have an imagination and creativity? Sure. But not fantasy. It, it's all within the bounds of what I really think I can accomplish. Yeah. And my guest room, got to have one of those. It's it's a wee program. And and Mike, I got to tell you, I, I learned this a little bit from you in the time I've been here, and that's kindness. Um, it's a real simple thing, but but showing kindness to others. But I would say more importantly for me in sobriety is only choosing to be around people who know kindness. Um, I didn't used to do that. In fact, I was attracted quite to the opposite. I figured that the the tougher, harder they were, the better my stature. In some way, it was a funny sort of thinking. And just say, hey, I'm going to stop that and just surround myself with kind people. Um, Huge, huge help. And then the, the last, you know, the room in the, in the house is the kitchen. Got to have one of those. And, and there is helpful. That is my principle. Um, how can I be of service to others? And this program yeah, it gives you so many ways of getting outside of yourself and to be able to help others. Um, you know, I, I, you can see my hand here and I'm taking it and showing a three or a 180 degree turn with my hand. But everything I thought I knew after being in this program has turned 180 degrees. It's the opposite. Um, mm. Well, I love the metaphor of the house and the rooms that you've built. And I greatly respect your, your program. What else does your service program look like? My number one tool of service. Well, let me start with how I got into service. Um, the first service position I ever had um, was in a room at 79th and Broadway. Um, it's called All, All Angels Church. And um, one of the service positions, you, know, you often hear that the, at the AA meetings that there's the coffee maker position. Um, things like that. This one had an even easier service position. It was, they called it the chair chair and you set up the chairs. And right. I remember getting to that meeting and 
hour early uh, with a tape measure to set up the chairs, right? Um, because that's, you know, it had to be absolutely perfect. Um, there's my ego, right? You know, and the first person in the room all of a sudden starts moving chairs around, you, you know, <laughs> it make you drink that sort of thing. Um, but it was where I began to learn to do service. Um, and that is that I can do my part um, and then I have to let it go. Mm-hmm. Um, my sponsor taught me the true meaning of service by uh, I used to live in a big apartment building that probably had 300 units and it. it was an old building um, and it had a great big lobby and it wasn't in the best shape. And he had me go down there in the middle of the night one time and clean the entire lobby and then go back up. And if I was seen by anybody, in the course of doing that, so I was doing it like at three thirty in the morning. Then I had to do it again another night until I wasn't seen, and I, I was able to do it the first night and, and get it done. And it actually, I remember being on the elevator and people saying, "Did you sort happen to the lobby?" You know, and I was sort of sitting there feeling good, and I couldn't say a word. That was the rule, you know. So keeping that anonymity, but it taught me the power of doing something for other people with absolutely zero expectation of of reward and you know i see the service you do in in, at sunrise semester and it's not like people are bowing or praying to you they're thankful you know but you're just like yeah but this is what we do it just sets an example and then it allows others to come in and do it um as i was saying before that i think that the biggest service that that i do is that of a sponsor and a lot of people are, you know, might hear this newcomers and think that I'm giving my time to the newcomer or my sponsee. Quite the opposite. I am getting my recovery through that relationship. Um, it's incredibly intimate. Two people sharing on recovery. That's it. And I get just as much out of it as, as they do. And that is one of the most powerful things that newcomers neglect to to really grasp, you know, coming into the rooms, you probably have a definite goal of stopping the behaviors that are that are causing such pain in your life. But when you do make contact with another alcoholic, the service that you as a newcomer are performing is monumental in making yourself available and asking for help because the person from whom you're asking help gets to reiterate the program. And in doing so, it's almost like progressive immersion. We are re-immersing ourselves in what it's like to be a newcomer. And that that really is powerful. So if you are a newcomer and you're hesitating to pick up the phone, stop because you're going to pick up the phone, you're going to help yourself, but you're also going to help the person on the other line, other end of the line. Yeah. Perfectly said. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely right. So I want to ask you if there's anything else that you want to share with the audience on on this concept. Yeah, um, so I started off by sort of talking about the the story arc, and and you know we we got off, but it when you come into program, at least for me, it gets better, um, and then we discussed, you know, it it gets worse for a short period, but then what happens is it gets different, um, and that's you know that first rickety room you build, you start to realize ah, I've got new principles by with which I can live my life. And then after different, it gets real. Um, and that's when, you know, you start to really get your rooms built, your houses looking nice. And then after that, it gets real good. 
Um, so that idea, you know, the newcomers don't peek too far ahead, but in step 12, it says having had a spiritual awakening, it's absolutely true. It takes 11 steps to get there. Um, so I would just say, come into the meeting, look at that first step, get a sponsor, read the big book and do the steps and your life will be entirely changed. Maya is um, a living proof of it. Perfectly stated. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Thank you. I really appreciate you spending some time with us and, and helping to carry the message. It's been wonderful chatting with you. Anytime. I hope I get another day one of these days. Absolutely. Take care, man. You too. See ya. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to find us online, you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash groups slash Daily Reflection Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Daily Reflector. You can read stories of recovery from our community at blog.dailyreflectionpodcast.com. Please don't forget to give us a rating on your podcast app. We greatly appreciate it. Have a great day.